All right, everybody, I am here today with Travis Powers. Travis is the Vice President of Partner and ISO Relations at Crosscheck. How are you doing today, Travis? I'm doing really well. Awesome. Good to be here. Yeah. Uh, thanks for being here, Travis. So Travis and I are going to dig into Check Guarantee. Uh, Patty, we were just talking before the podcast that we actually had an interview with Brandy from CrossCheck, one of our very first interviews a couple years ago. Right. Um, and such an important topic. So before we dive into that, though, Travis, uh, we definitely want to get your backstory. So tell us a little bit about how you got into this crazy industry that we're in, how you ended up at CrossCheck. Give us a little context if you could. Uh, absolutely. Um, I actually started with CrossCheck in 1989 doing uh, bad check collections um, while I was in college going to um, a local school out here at Sonoma wow. State. Mm -hmm. um, started there, and when I graduated from Sonoma State, I left CrossCheck and went into banking. And I was in banking for the better part of about eight years working for one of the national banks uh, to be named nameless at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah. And doing that, I, I, you know, I was, uh, honestly, I was in business banking with them doing middle market lending, um, and also business services such as merchant services. Okay. And so it was an interesting transition going from the check guarantee world into merchant services and, um, lending. And then at one point I was um, had some friends that still worked at Crosscheck. They lured me back um, to come run the ISO division um, here at Crosscheck in 1999, and I've been here since. So, wow. running, uh, working with the ISO division and the folks all the way from the guys out on the street all mm -hmm. the way up to the Heartlands and the B of A's and all that of the world that resell our products. Wow. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, and uh, and it just goes to show you what a resilient payment method checks are. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that. Basically, Travis. you've been in checks for your entire career, right, Travis? <laughs> I, more or less. Yeah, right? more or less. More or less. I, I've been exposed to them at the bank side and right. also here. Right, sure. Right. So. so, Travis, I have to ask this question right off the bat, and I, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the first person to ask you this. So, why should payment professionals still care about paper checks, check guarantee? You know, I'm sure you get this question a lot. I know how important it is. Patty knows how important I it is. I, of course, know right? how important but, it is. But, you know, give us some thoughts. <laughs> Frame this for our audience. Why should they still care about this? Why is this so important? And why is it such a great opportunity for like that, that, you know, that right ISO or that right agent? Well, and, and, and I kind of, we have a saying right here. Of course, I get that question, if not daily, several times a day, is who still writes checks? And the reality, I, we kind of have a tongue in cheek around here. We call it the jaded financial professional. Um, you uh -huh. know, it's, nice. What's, what's new? What's, what's new is always in everybody's repertoire because that's, you know, in a, in a sense, that's what's hot. It's new, it sells. Right. Um, sometimes checks are mundane in the sense that, but they're so relevant. And oh, yes. they're especially relevant. Yeah, they're especially relevant through um, several different SIG codes that we specialize. We can get into that later. But at the, at the same point in time, it's still the preferred payment method that's taking place out there for people to transact um, a payment. Right. And we had. Uh, there's, and that's, and I think if we are. You know, there's a difference, I always say, about being a, are you a payments professional or are you a merchant service professional? Right. And that's who I deal with on a daily basis. And mm -hmm. I know, you know, we should be advising our, our merchants 
on all their payments. Right. So why tell a merchant how they're going to take a payment as opposed to here are the different ways that I can help service you to take payments. Right. And just to put that the, makes sense. Sure. And to put a number on it, Travis, just so I can clarify. I know we I went over this a few weeks ago in one of our podcasts, but there were 17 billion checks written last year. Um B2B <laughs> transactions are still 40% of B2B transactions are still with checks. So, you know, that's a lot of transactions out there. It's obviously still has a lure. It, it absolutely does. And, you know, it's the checks. What's great about checks is there's finality of payment. Right. Um, when, it, when a business owner um, takes a payment via check and that check clears, it's their it's money. Either, it either cleared or didn't clear. And if it cleared, it's done. Right. Um, where, you know, that's with many other payment types, you're, you've got trailing chargeback issues. You've got, got a lot of other issues that come along. Um, but that's why we are in the check guarantee business is when that check doesn't clear, that's where we add value. Right. And, that, um, and that's where we want to go a little bit deeper, if you don't mind, Travis, because really, can you explain absolutely. check guarantee and sort of how that works and, and you know, why it's important to have to have a service like that? Well, in many, you know, many businesses that are out there today, um, you know, I, I'm going to give a stupid little analogy here, but I ask business, small business owners, medium-sized business owners all the time is, you know, do your own, do you do your own payroll? Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've ever had somebody tell me they do their own payroll. And the reason that I ask that question is, is that, you know, collecting on checks that do not clear mm-hmm. is a, there's a skill set there, sure, and that's what we bring. That's what we bring to the table um, for these folks is that skill set of when you do have a bad check, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to recoup those funds? Mm-hmm. Um, and what procedures do you have in place? And we bring that um, to that business owner so that when they do have a problem, they know that it's being taken care of in a very efficient and direct way. At the same point in time, you know, that's tracking folks down in today's world um, that write bad checks is a very difficult proposition. Sure. Um, you know, it, there's a lot of rules, regulations around it, and you want to make sure that you're up to date on that. So, Travis, just for our listeners who are maybe newer to the industry, um, let me let me state this real quick, just and you tell me, you know, fill in the blanks for me. So, so what we're talking about okay. here, correct me if I'm wrong, is... I'm a consumer. I come to a furniture store. I'm going to buy a couch or whatever, and I'm going to write a check for $1,000 for this couch. With CrossCheck, you guys are providing like the check scanners or readers where the merchant can run this check through that scanner, and it now becomes like an electronic transaction, but more importantly, you're guaranteeing. So if my $1,000 check bounces, you know, Joe Smith, who runs the the furniture store, doesn't have to track me down to get his money. That's something that you guys are taking care of for them. Is is that kind of an accurate description, and, or did I miss anything? And he's getting his money, and then it's up to you, correct, Travis, to to get to get the funds. Is that how it works? Yeah, that that is that is how it works. And there there are a couple of different th- uh, methods that we do. At the end of the day, take a look at um, in helping that merchant process that item. It may be something as simple as we are just providing the guarantee so that if that check bounces, it could be that we're electronifying that check in, um, I don't know if that's really a word from electronify, but I like to use it. I like to use it. Yeah, that sounds really cool. That's a good word. Yeah. We we take that check and clear it electronically um, for them by presenting it to the Federal Reserve and then back to their account. If that check were to bounce, 
it comes back to me. They're kept whole right. in that process. Um, you know, we still have merchants today that are, we're adding value to their process simply by guaranteeing some by making, being more efficient by taking the check to the bank to them. And then we also have another product that um, we can allow a consumer to write several checks. You mentioned the furniture store. Mm-hmm. Well, we kind of can do an in-home layaway in the sense right. that we can give that merchant payment terms with a guarantee so they can write two $500 checks today. We'll process one today, one two weeks from now when they get paid again. Both those items are guaranteed, and they can let that $1,000 couch out the door. Wow. Yeah, no I didn't credit. know you guys did that. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool, actually. It's very cool. It's like a consumer financing deal. That's that's a really simple way to set it up. I like that. Well, you know, it's interesting because I, yeah, I, I've seen this done in other countries, like in, in, in South America and a lot of countries where they're not using credit cards, but they'll write like, you know, three months worth of checks for huh. a purchase. And that's very similar to what, to wow. what you're saying, right, Travis? I mean, it kind of gives no, you that. Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's pretty cool. We do this. For, yeah, it is. It is. You know, the verticals, the verticals that we concentrate in um, many times in those, it's it's a higher dollar check. You know, we still sure. guarantee plenty of $60 checks, but where we really are needed in today's world starts getting into, for that finality of payment for that merchant is north of $500. So you're talking... You know, like furniture stores, uh, auto dealers. Uh, well, let's let's dive into that, Travis. Yeah. So, what, give it give us three or four yeah, verticals. What are, what are some verticals that that you know this is really used a lot? Auto dealers, auto after, furniture, building supply, mm-hmm. funeral homes, vet, mm. dentist. You know, medical is a big space. Sure. Um, because if you think about the demographic, most people that are using medical in today's world are a little bit older, like myself. Um, you know, are still checks are still a very prevalent payment mm. method for mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, home service businesses, where you know some um, the plumbers of the world um, that are coming out to your home and per- and performing a task at the home, and that the the homeowner is there to make good at right. the time that the services are completed. Um, checks are still very prevalent in that space. Um, you know what we do on our ISO side is we are trying to focus on those verticals, helping the, our ISOs turn over the right rocks uh, to look for the business opportunities that are right. out there. Sure. That where checks are still a main payment method. Sure. You know what? It's actually really interesting, um, Travis, since you and I talked, I think it was last week, um, I looked back and I, I found two businesses that I actually sold for cross-check like 10 years ago or something, or I don't know, a long time ago. Um, and it was interesting, the, a couple things. One of them, what didn't surprise me, it's a, it's an antique um, outlet. And so they're doing, you know, sure. 200 to $2,000 transactions for, you know, antiques. So I was like, okay, that, that makes total sense. And they're, you know, still working that way. But another one that I thought was kind of interesting, one of your thoughts was, it was actually a high-end hair and nail salon that I set up. And... I look back at the notes. They did have bad checks, which was an issue that they just, it was more of an annoyance for them more than like a financial problem. It was just like, they didn't want to spend the time tracking it down, but it was also the conversion that you talked about as far as like, they just didn't want to run to the bank and deposit checks. Like they, mm-hmm. they got so many checks. Is, is that still a, a trend or like a value add as well? Just this fact of like, stop running to the bank and just, you know, uh, I can't, I can't remember the word you used, electronify. Like electronify. Yeah. And also, it, 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 and, there, <laughs> and there's two sides of that, that I, if you could address this as well, Travis. There's the electronification where you actually 
truncate the check and clear it as an electronic check, as an RDC item, so to speak, remote deposit capture item, or else you can convert it to an ACH transaction. Um, is that true? I mean, that, those are the two ways that you can electronify? Yeah, that, you're absolutely correct. And, and there's benefits to both mm-hmm. of those um, scenarios. We process via RDC. Um, we like to keep, because of the fact that we're adding a guarantee to it, mm-hmm. um, we like the idea of that check falling under check law as opposed sure. to falling under reggae law from a collection standpoint. And that's we're kind of getting into the weeds a little bit on that of the, the nuances between those two items. But it's cheaper to clear it as an ACH, of course, than it is to clear it as an RDC item. But at the same point in time, there's advantages to having it from a collection standpoint for the merchant being in the RDC world. But yes, no, and to get back to the, I think the original question is, yes, that is the value proposition in today's world, especially with multi-locations. I was on this morning with a 50 location auto after group that's in Texas. And part of it was that the CFO, you know, basically was getting checks, having to rely on someone at that shop and to go make a night drop mm-hmm. at one point. Is that happening on a daily basis? Is it happening every three days? Did someone go on vacation? When we add the um, electronification into it, the remote deposit capture piece, mm-hmm. it's happening every single day. It happens at the point of sale. They know that it's guaranteed. The reporting flows back up to the central, CF, central right. location or the CFO, whoever's doing that. And they're able to know know exactly what's going on at each location. You know, we actually in our process we actually have a what, um, an electronic deposit slip okay. that they're able to print out at the end of the day, add it to their batch out reports for their credit card. And you know, we even have many of our larger locations that we're doing feeds to their accounting back end. Right, right to their AR systems. Side. Right, yeah, yeah. So, and I, oh no, go ahead. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Oh, no. And so I'm just saying there, there's a lot of different, you know, I call it the, pen, the old the old fashioned pencil closes. It's easy to convince a dentist that, they, you know, Bob or Susan or whoever's doing the bank run every day of going, how much are you paying them? Mm-hmm. What's it going to cost for us to do it? We can add a guarantee. And at the same point in time, as opposed to them standing in line at the bank, getting a Starbucks, whatever it is that they do right. when they're out. Can they be, you know, calling patients, putting them in a chair, filling empty spots that, you know, there's there's a hundred different things that you can do um, to do that pencil close. But really, at the end of the day, it's it's it's, as we all talk about in today's world, as it's not just the box that's sitting there anymore that goes makes the process easy. There's we're all looking for an advantage in the sales piece to say look, I'm bringing more value to your business to Correct. make you more efficient. Right. right. And, and right. electronifying that check is a big piece of that. Sure, sure. So, Travis, I want to get into pricing and margin uh, because I know this is an area of confusion because it's this is not credit card processing. This is very different, right? right. So let's start with the pricing. Can you give us some idea about you know, the, the pricing, like how does it work? Um, you know, give us some, maybe some examples, like what, what do merchants pay for this service? Give us some idea of how the pricing works. Oh, absolutely. Um, pricing is usually, you know, I always try and say somewhere between a third to a half of what it costs to process a credit card. 
Um, there is no interchange in my business. Really, um, there's three three components to my business. There's what a merchant pays us. There's what they give us in bad checks, and there's what our recovery is on that. The delta between that um, is my is my margin. Now that changes from an auto dealer to a liquor store. Sure. Um, on that side, because you you do have to look at your demographic. You do have to look and see it. It can often be easier to collect a thousand dollar down payment check at an auto dealer than it is to collect a hundred dollar check at a at a grocery store. store. Um, a you usually got a lot more backup to find the person. So, you know, part of that is, is that like in an auto dealer, we're we're trying to make sure that we've got an effective collection rate of ninety plus percent. I'm never going to see that in a small liquor store down the road. I might. So margins vary from sector to sector, but normally what we're doing is what's hard for a lot of ISOs to understand. They're used to working on buy rates, um, which we can't offer. We can't offer, but usually when I get a smart ISO that's going to go after the verticals that have a lot of volume that I can say, hey, we're looking at typically a 20 to 25% margin, hopefully in an account of which we're sharing sometimes 50 to 60 sometimes even 75% of that back with the ISO, because normally what we do is we pay an ISO a percentage of the bill. So whatever that Mm -hmm. bill is, because what I'm trying to do when I talk to a multi-location chain or a bigger one, you know, we actually have a little bit different process here at CrossCheck than a lot of my competitors. We want the ISO to bring us in and help them price an account and help them sell the account, overcome the objection. Sales, um, for lack of a better term, is, we don't want them in the deep down in the weeds with them, but we want them to bring us to that to help them close that deal. So I'm going to try and build in the appropriate margin on an account to help them keep that account sure. for the next five years, not the next five weeks. Sure. And I, and I think it's so interesting what you're talking about, because in a way it's all, almost uh, like in our industry, we can almost relate it to like the, the high risk side. So it's like you're dealing with this whole gamut where it sounds like what you're saying is some business types um, are not going to have very many bad checks, but then there are going to be others that could potentially have a lot of bad checks. So it seems like there's a lot more variance there, right? Where you have to be, your pricing has to be a little bit more flexible because you have to make sure that you're covering your potential losses on the, on the bad check side. Is that, is that what I hear you saying? Absolutely. And you can have an account, you know, and and we can have an auto after account that may not see a bad check for nine months, but all of a sudden they may have a $5,000 bad check that we're never able to collect. And you have to have the appropriate margin in that account to cover the losses right? um, in that account. Because we're not an insurance company. We're we're an assurance company. We we help Mm -hmm. merchants assure that they've got a process in place to take the most checks that they can avoid the really bad ones right. but at the same point in time when something does bounce they don't have to worry about it getting paid right um, on that piece and it's important that you do build in the appropriate margin and you know and that you're not it's very simple you know we always talk about in today's world with isis i, I hear this every single day as they go well i have a 90 10 split i have this i have that mm-hmm. well the reality is, is what's hard for isos today is to hear is I go, well, what are you, what's the percentage you're being paid on the, on the merchant's overall bill? Right, right. You know, because right. if, if, you, if you're, it's great that you've got a 90-10 split, but if you're only splitting five basis points or 10 basis points, mm-hmm. and the merchant has an effective rate of 2.5%, you're not making a lot of money right, right, exactly. on that merchant. 
Well, well, Travis, this yeah, is really so. this is really enlightening. I, uh, this is yeah. really helpful. I think it's going to help our, our our listeners. But uh, I'd like to ask you something, which which is is going to be uh, an, an interesting. Consider the crystal ball, right? We all like to pretend that we can look into a crystal ball and predict the future, even though none of us has one. Um, I'm wondering if you can kind of take a look at the market and what do you see going on in the check guarantee business, say, in the next two to three years? And, you know, for a company like what are some of the trends uh, that that agents and, and ISOs need to be, you know, looking out for? Well, I think the biggest the biggest trend that I see out there is everyone is that I see ISOs starting to verticalize. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something sure. that in yep. – Try, you know, there's still plenty of guys that are the jack of all trades that right. can handle. But the more and more folks that I'm talking to on a regular basis, um, they're becoming experts in a vertical. Sure. And so that they're able to talk the language to um, their clients and really add value as opposed to saying, you know, there's still plenty of guys out there that are going, hey, I'll save you, I'll save you money on your bill. And right. you know, I think that's a good that's a race to zero sure. as far as I'm concerned um, in the, in the processing business. And part of what I see is I don't, when people call me, when people typically call me and they go, I'm in the payments guarantee business, not the check guarantee business, mm-hmm. you know, cross check is looking down the road. We're, we're also, we also own a fully licensed and bonded collection agency throughout the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we are looking past and beyond to add value to our clients. Um, a lot of that is, is we are looking at how are we going to guarantee payments and what are they, what is that going to look like in the future? Is that an electronic check? Um, right. What, what is that that's going to happen? I don't, you know, I had people tell me 20 years ago that the paper check is going away. Um, and we also see what yeah, happened. It, <laughs> it, it, but I would, it would be naive to say that checks, you know, you don't see as many people writing $30 checks as you did of 15 sure. years ago. Right. Well, guess what? That wasn't my birth. You know, while I still do guarantee in those spaces, it's never been our main core business in the sense that we've always been in auto dealers. We've always been in furniture. There's still plenty of places in the, in that to, you know, looking 36 months down the road, there's plenty of opportunity. And the great part is, is that, as more and more ISOs concentrate and have their bandwidth is being stretched by the technology that's coming their way, the one thing that we add in that value down the next 36 months or even the next five years is our expertise in helping them make sure that they get paid, you know, whether that be through check guarantee, collections, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. um, an electronic check. We're moving our business in that direction from a technology standpoint from a reporting standpoint, yeah, that's the one thing I do see more and more, and I do see this coming over the next 36 months, is our ability to give the merchant the information that they need to better run their business while still protecting them against loss. So when you talk so, about the information, that, you mean in terms of reporting and um, analytics? Is that what you're talking about? or? Is it- yes, I'm talking about that. And also opening up their ability to take payments from you know, everyone's seen it that that listens to this. You've walked into many businesses and see checks not accepted. Right. You know, first, first of all, I always tell business owners, why would you tell somebody that you're not going to take something? Yeah. <laughs> that you're not going to, 
you're not taking payment from them. And we hear that. I mean, um, today I've had this conversation once or twice where people go, well, we're thinking about not taking checks anymore. Or, and I go, well, would you think about not taking cash? Would you think about not taking credit cards? Right, right. Why would you do that? And, right. you know, and, and, part of, and part of that is, is usually there's a pain point behind whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And as a business, that's our responsibility over the next 36 months to even five years is to always uncover what that pain point is and help them do it. I mean, when taking a check is a third of the cost of taking a credit card, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I can tell you this is that if I can give you, if I can deviate for a moment, sure. just say to a car dealer, you know, everybody thinks that car dealers make a lot of money selling cars. They don't. They don't make a lot of money selling cars. The average car is probably worth about thirty. Um, sale is about thirty-five thousand dollars. The average uh, OEM will make maybe a gross profit of a thousand bucks in that. Right. You know, if someone wants to throw their Chase Sapphire car down at three and a half percent on that down payment, when I can do it for sub fifty basis points. Right. You know, and and guarantee it and give them a flexibility of taking one or two checks on that down payment. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you know, why wouldn't you do that um, from a margin standpoint? So right. it, it's all about making bringing something to the table that's cost effective, flexible, Love it. give them the reporting that they need. Sure. Right. That's awesome, man. Well, Travis, I'm sure we could keep talking about this for a long time, but I want to make sure I give you a chance to do a little promote here for Crosscheck. So a lot of our listeners uh, maybe have never even considered Check mm-hmm. Guarantee as something they could offer. Um, can you tell us where you would send them to learn more about Crosscheck and, and the opportunity to partner uh, with you? Yeah, I would I would send them to our website at um, www.cross-check.com. Make sure you get the hyphen in there. Um, or just to call our partner relations support line at 800 654 Two three six five. Hit one for sales support. Ask for Travis, Brandy, Todd, one of us here. Um, you know, I think the big one is is that you don't have to sell it. We will sell it for you. Okay. Um, we can help build a residual for any of our clients that um, you know. We can help them figure out what verticals make sense for them to chase. Sure. And to build a residual stream. It's and I think the big piece on it from crosscheck standpoint is. Our, our approach is different than my competitors in the sense of that sales support. Um, we've done that for 36 years. Mm-hmm. Um, we've helped our salespeople help close deals. And as we move forward and things get a little, I think things have gotten more complicated in the payments industry sure. with technology coming in. We really, we really help smooth that out in the sales process. That's great. Hey, so can that, you give us that phone number one more time? Cause I just slow down just a tad, just so. Keep, oh yeah, absolutely. Sure. Probably 800, 800- Six five four, two three six five. Hit one for sales support. Okay, awesome. And that was crosscheck c r o s s hyphen check dot com. So Travis, thank you so much for your time today. Great interview. Really appreciate it. Really great catching up with you again, Travis. This is the Insiders Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by the Green Sheet. For the past thirty six years, the Green Sheet has been the go to source for news analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading the Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at greensheet.com. Well, James, it's almost spring, even here in the Northeast. 
in the bank and in the bank card industry, that means it's time for the card brands to start publishing new interchange rates. That's right. It's time for them to start cashing their checks and um, making more money. And, and making more money. <laughs> you know, a little background. You know, for people who might still be, you know, might be new to the industry. Sure. You know, Visa and Mastercard typically introduce revisions to interchange rates with effective dates in April and October. The card brands begin the process of notifying ISILs and acquirers of the changes in January and February, and the changes often closely approximate each other, although right. not necessarily mirror identically. Right, right. Um, and, and generally, the changes, you know, are, are – there's, there's a reason behind any given change. That, you know, uh, they either seek to encourage greater card usage in a particular – in particular merchant categories mm-hmm. or uh, capitalize on the popularity of card usage in other – Categories. Sure, sure. Um, you know, for for years, this ritual went unnoticed uh, by the general public. You know, only industry publications like the Green Sheet ever wrote about the changes. Sure, but then some lobbyists working on behalf of retailers came up with that ingenious term "swipe fee" to explain mm-hmm. interchange. Right. You know, I think it was a stroke of genius, really, in that it uh, was something that consumers could really wrap their heads around. Right. And the mainstream press, for that matter. So it doesn't surprise me anymore when I see headlines in my news feeds about swipe fees. Mm-hmm. But I was a little bit surprised by this headline, first published by Bloomberg News and picked up by numerous other outlets. Quote, Visa is planning the biggest changes in swipe fees in decades. Yeah. Okay. I was like, really? You know, you know. This sounds like a little bit of an overstatement. <laughs> uh, huge overstatement from what I've heard. From what I understand. And then I went and I got a copy of the Visa memo, and I figured out where they got that headline from. Uh, in the memo, they said the U.S. interchange structure has been largely unchanged for the past 10 years. Sure. Right. Sure. And that was just you know, gobbledygook, really. It was, well, right, and it's not like Visa didn't follow that by saying, and we are about to totally change the no, structure. No, it didn't say <laughs> it that at like, all. It hasn't changed in the last 10 years, and it probably won't for the next, next 10. Next 10 years, right? But, but somebody caught on to that and just, you know, ran with it. Right. So um, so anyway, I, I decided I had to dig into the matter a little bit little bit more, figure out what was sure, going on. Sure, And uh, what I found was that, uh, you know, interchange is going up quite a bit for card not present transactions, but only by about 4 to 5%. Uh, Brian Riley, who's director of credit advisory services at Mercator Advisory Group, has done the math. He came up with with a couple of examples. For a $100 transaction paid using a traditional Visa card, uh, Interchange will climb to $1.99 from $1.90. This is e-commerce or card not present? This is card not present. Okay. Right. Um, Using a premium premium card, you know, like – sure. You know, Visa, gold or silver or platinum, sure. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to go up from two fifty to two sixty on that hundred dollar transaction. On that hundred dollar transaction, sure. Now, EMV, I mean, excuse me, POS transactions that are EMV secured are going to, on the other hand, are going to benefit from lower interchange. Right. Okay. How much lower is the question, right? Yeah, and it's actually as much as thirty percent for some verticals. Really? Yeah. You know, wow. okay. biz- businesses that are especially cash and check heavy, including healthcare, education, and real estate rentals, will see the biggest reductions. Uh, Sal uh, Rematula, uh, who's uh, president and co-founder of, of Fat Merchant, who we're right. going to be interviewing, I think next week or the right. week after. Right. He said um, some of, some businesses, some of these businesses, could see interchange rates slash by as much as thirty percent, um, particularly in healthcare. Hmm. Okay. 
very very check heavy. You know, we talked yeah. about that with 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 right. uh, Travis, Travis today. Sure. And uh, you know, Visa would like to get some of those check transactions. And, right. Right. And you know, as Travis was saying, you know, interchange is really expensive right. on well, some of these like, things. He said it was like a third the cost of a credit card of transaction a credit card. to run a check. Right. So, so yeah. if Visa's trying to slash it by a third, right, that right. they're trying to meet them kind of more towards the middle there. Exactly. Hmm. You know, as of this recording, MasterCard has not yet announced its upcoming changes. Um, but as I said, they typically track closely with Visa sure, changes. Sure. Of course, the uh, upcoming changes to Interchange have not gone unnoticed by business leaders. With one group, um, the Retail Industry Leaders Association, protesting that the plan changes are evidence of a quote broken market in need of government intervention. <laughs> no surprises there, but I, you know, I don't really see that getting any 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 traction per se. But I think, you know, uh, a really important thing. I mean, we've we we've talked about this repeatedly, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, with interchange going up, it's another great time to be pushing cash discounting. Yep, cash discounting, compliance surcharging programs, all of it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's, and I, the other thing too is, um, you know, I, I posted about this on. Uh, on LinkedIn recently about um, you know how this would affect Stripe and Square. Right. You know, it seems like I mean, looking at it from that perspective, it would seem like you know it's a clear loss for Stripe, mm-hmm. and it's a clear win for Square because Square is mostly physical location. Right. So if the underlying interchange costs go down, they're not going to lower their price. No, and they're going to you know maybe maybe make some profit for once. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hopefully, after that price increase, they can. Yeah, hopefully now they can do something, right? Yeah, exactly. But uh, but huh. yeah, I think for 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 um, you know something like Stripe, yeah, it's going to make a huge difference. Right. Yeah, it was funny. I was actually talking to uh, Eric Jenks from Paytrace mm-hmm. we've had um, on the show, and I was talking to him the other day about it, and you know, I was like, so this is the biggest change in ten years. Like, what what is it? You right, know? right. And he had he had seen all the you know he had all this stuff and. You know, and he's like, yeah, you know, they're changing a few things here and there. I mean, it was it's nothing. They're right. definitely not changing the structure of interchange. No, at all. it's not changing the structure at all. I thought no. it was really interesting. Is uh, about a day or two after the announcement, uh, Global Payments had its investor call, okay. which I listened to, and um, I listened to the recording, not the live, sure, but sure. still. Um, and it was really interesting. It was one of the first calls out of the box right. from from the analyst was, well, you know, what's, you know, how's this going to affect Global, and you know. They were like, yep. not going to hurt us at all. It might actually help us, you right, know. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 you know and and again, I think that goes to the fact that so few people outside of our little industry, here. little industry, <laughs> really understand yeah. what this is all about. Yeah. Wow. Well, very. Oh, it'd be interesting to see how it goes. We'll obviously keep updating people as changes happen. And oh, sure. Things like that. I think it's so. It goes into effect when April. April yeah, it's usually April around April fifteenth. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks always, Patty, for keeping us up to date. Sure thing. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com 
to learn more. So, Patty, this is the uh, last in our series on how to build a merchant sales team. Mm -hmm. uh, today, we're going to be talking about activating your sales team. So, it was recruit, train, activate. Correct. Uh, uh, but let's right at the, off the bat here at the beginning because, again, I mean, uh, we're, we're sitting here looking at the ebook right now. I mean, you know, I'm going to be able to cover a very, very, very tiny fraction of this. So, definitely go to ccsalespro.com slash team ccsalespro.com slash team it's a free download no uh -huh. gimmicks no tricks it's just a free download um it's a my ebook on um how to build merchant sales teams from my experience building a couple of isos to over 200 deals a month and then now consulting for the last five years to mm -hmm. isos in the industry so um take a look at that i want to talk to you about activating so we've recruited a good agent we have put them through training to give them confidence help them build that confidence to visualize the success and to give them those resources they need now we really need to get them to make a sale. Right. So how do we do this? And I summarize in the ebook two words that really um, are the key to this. And these two words are commitment and communication. Yes. The two C's. Yes. And you really have to have this. So let's talk about each of these for just a, a moment. So let's first talk about commitment. So mm -hmm. you have to get a commitment from your salespeople in order for, you know, that they are going to take action. Right. Now, this is an area where uh, a lot of people really struggle with this because they, you know, as managers, they have maybe 1099 agents. Mm -hmm. So they're like, well, I can't get, you know, commitments, specific commitments because they're 1099. Well, that doesn't mean you can't get any commitment. No. You know, if I'm going to hire a 1099 contractor to come out and fix my roof, you know, number you have one. expectations. Yeah. You know, number one, I can find out what day he's coming. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to ask him. I'm not going to tell him which mm -hmm. day he's coming, but I'm going to ask him mm -hmm. and he's going to tell me. And if he says he's going to come on Tuesday, it's okay for me to expect that he's going to come on Tuesday because he said he was going to be there Tuesday. Correct. Right? Now, if he ends up shingling half my roof and then leaving and not calling me, it's also okay for me to follow up and say, hey, you said you were going to shingle my whole roof. You only did half. Right. So I think it's helpful for sales managers in this industry to, to think in terms of a roofing contractor. So mm -hmm. if I'm hiring a, a 1099 sales rep and I tell them, you have to start prospecting at 9 a.m. tomorrow, you prospect for three hours, then you reach out to our team and tell us what you did and send us a report. And, you know, no, you can't do that. That's W-2. Now we're trying to control their behavior. But right. in order to get them to make a commitment, that's where everything starts. Now, the irony with this is people say, well, James, how do you manage a W-2 sales team versus 1099? Mm -hmm. What I have found in this industry is that the best managers in this industry, it doesn't make any difference to them. Sure. They manage both the same because the best goals, there's one difference I'll tell you in a minute, but as far as management goes, the best goals are going to originate from the salesperson anyway. Sure. You know, a top-down goal, there's no buy-in to that. Right. If you talk to a good sales rep that's, you know, skilled at what they do, they're probably going to set a goal for themselves that's higher than what you would set for them anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's always best to get that commitment. So you start by talking to them. Now, when I say a commitment, I want to be really clear about this because what I'm talking about here is I'm talking about a very clear, specific commitment to take action. You know, right. saying, so are you ready to go? Yep, I'm ready to go. That's not a commitment. That's not a commitment. A right. commitment is, okay, great. So when are you going to start prospecting? Mm -hmm. Monday, great. When do you plan to leave your house to go to that first appointment? Where are you planning to go? How many appointments do you plan yes. to Yes, how meet? long do you plan to prospect? Like, mm -hmm. these are all perfectly, there's nothing wrong with asking someone these questions. Sure. It's up to them to answer them. They don't have to answer them. You don't have a gun to their head, but they can answer these questions. So you get these commitments that are very specific. What exactly right. are they planning to do? When are they planning to do it? Then it goes into communication. 
Mm-hmm. And this is the part that our industry just does not understand at all, my experience. And, I, and I, I shouldn't say that. I mean, there's a lot of really good companies out there that do get this. But this idea of proactive communication. Right. So, yes, you definitely want to have great support when your salespeople call in and they have a problem. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. But do you have great communication around their commitments? I mean, do you even have commitments in the first place? Right. So if you're a sales manager in this industry right now, think about the salespeople that you would consider to be on your team. Do you know what their commitment to action is? And if so, right, right. how are you communicating with them around that? So let me kind of walk through to make this really clear and specific. So let's say I've recruited a new 1099 sales representative. I've put them through our training. <clears throat> They're ready to go. What am I going to do? Well, I'm going to start by having a conversation with them about commitment. So I'm going to say, um, when are you planning to go out? Well, I'm going to go out Wednesday morning. Uh, okay, great. When do you plan to do that? Uh, about 9 a.m. I, I get started. Okay, great. Um, which business are you going to go to first? And mm-hmm. I help them with that. Well, I'm going to go to this business first. Great. Now, then I have this information, right? So now what do I do? Well, what I do is I'm going to set the stage for further communication. So I'm going to say, great. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a call. You said 9 o'clock. So I'll give you about 45 minutes or so. I'm going to give you a call around, let's say, 10 o'clock on Wednesday morning because uh-huh. I want to just get an update and see how that first one went for sure. you. Sure. So you see what I'm doing, though? Right. Now they're like, oh, wait, this guy's actually going to call me at 10, and I just promised I was going to go do something. At 9. At 9. If he calls me at 10 and I didn't do it, I'm going to be embarrassed. Right. Right? So do I wait until 10 o'clock? Absolutely not. I actually am going to text them at 7 o'clock the night before Mm -hmm. and say, hey, I'm so excited that you're getting out in the field tomorrow to go to that first business XYZ hair salon at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. Are there any questions or things that have come up since we talked last that you need answers to before you jump out in the field tomorrow? Sure. Right? So I'm not waiting until it's negative. I want to jump ahead of it while it's still positive. Right. right? Sure. And while I can still fix it. And also give them the motivation to know that, okay, I don't have to know everything. There's somebody here to help me. Exactly. And I will tell you something else, too. It seems like such an obvious thing. Um, If you are not actively developing a text message relationship with your sales team, Mm -hmm. you're crazy. Oh, yeah. Especially today. Oh, my. You know, we don't have, you know, a sales rep out in the field doesn't really have time for phone calls a lot. Doesn't have time for email or they're not going to check their email. Text messaging is perfect for for building a merchant sales team because they're standing with the merchant. If they know they can text you and you're going to respond, they love that. And I'll even tell them on that, you know, we'll have this seven o'clock text back and forth and they might say, you know, I had a question about this or that. I'll answer it. Maybe give them a call. Then I go, okay, great. Just so you know, tomorrow morning from 9 a.m. to 9.30 a.m., I have cleared my schedule Uh to ensure that I can answer any text messages that you have or calls from you about Mm -hmm. this first visit. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's so crucial. Now, I can certainly do other workouts when I'm going to go through my email inbox and things like that. But now, all of a sudden, they know there's somebody waiting. So you have to put this weight, this burden of accountability on them. Mm -hmm. And notice everything that I've said, it's all the commitments they have made. Right. I'm not telling them what to do at all. They're telling me what they're doing. I'm simply here to help. You're just facilitating their 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 plan. Right. I'm just yeah. trying to help them accomplish their own objectives, you know. Right, right. Now, what'll happen is, you know, and this is the frustrating part, when you actually do what I just described, the what you're going to find a lot of is people are going to say stuff like, you know, actually I'm not feeling very well. Mm, um, yeah. my dog is sick, you know, whatever. Um, um, the plumber's coming tomorrow, whatever yeah, it is, whatever. right? Yeah. People always ask me, well, James, what's your advice? My advice is to stay positive until you kick them off your team. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So what do I mean by this? Well, you know, I'm really not feeling well. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Hope you feel better. What is your plan now as far as getting out in the field? Do you think you're going to need a couple days or what's the battle plan? Right. Yeah. I think I'm going to go out Friday morning. Okay, great. Still looking at 9am. Awesome. Great. 
I will reach back out to you Thursday night. Sure hope you're feeling better. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of sales managers bristle at this because this is where they don't know what to do because what they do is they try to beat their head against a wall by talking an independent contractor into doing something they don't want to do. Yeah, yeah. Which is by definition, at best, ineffective and at worst, illegal. Right. So don't do that. Mm-hmm. Don't beat your head against the wall. What will happen is you don't understand that when you do it this way, when you do what I just described, right. you're going to build this guilt up with them, mm-hmm. and it like adds to the accountability. Sure. When you text them on Thursday and you're like, hey, hope you're feeling better. I'm really excited that you're getting out in the field tomorrow at 9 a.m. to go to XYZ Hair Salon. Right. 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 What are they doing? They're like, well, I can't say I'm sick again. No. I already said my dog was sick. They're mm-hmm. going to run out of excuses. And, mm-hmm. and what I find is you're like, well, James, that's just too annoying. I don't want to do that over and over again. It's literally going to take you three minutes. Right. Do it every week for four weeks. And eventually, if they don't take action, stop. All you're, invest- <laughs> all you're investing is two minutes. Right. You know? And what you're doing is, again, you're building up that, that kind of, you know, that energy of like mm-hmm. the accountability. And so it's, it's very effective. Now, let me make one other application of this and then we'll be done for today. So uh, I want to talk for just a second about the experienced bank card professional. Okay. When you're recruiting the experienced bank card professional and you've got them on your team, what is the action step? Because they are not going to like it if you say, when are you going to go prospecting next? Yeah, sure. They don't want to be micromanaged. They're already doing 10 deals a month. They're like, right. leave me alone. Right. right. Support me when I need you. I don't, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? They are not going to want that same level of involvement. Sure. What do you do with them? What you do with them is their next action step is the sale, the next sale that they're working on. Okay. So what you say is something like this. I'll Again, I text them. I'm all about the texting. But I'll text them and say, hey, Susan, um, you know, really looking forward to the experience that you bring to the team. We're mm-hmm. excited about you know working with you. I know that the first deal or two are always a little bit challenging just to get used to new paperwork and new processes. Right. So I want to make sure I'm available to help. What's the next deal? Do you have something in the pipeline right now that you're looking to bring to us? Okay. And if she says no, say no problem. If you don't mind, I'll check back in a few days and see what you have in the pipeline. Right. You've got to get them to identify, I've got a dentist office or I have an attorney or I have a pizza shop mm-hmm. and I think they would be a good fit because then you're going to say, hey, can we schedule a call so I can walk you through how what we do for pizza shops? Right, like, sure. Because until you get that specific mid, you know you don't have anything to go on. You can't manage them at all. Right. Once you have that, then you lock onto that like a bulldog, mm-hmm. and now you're texting them, hey, were you able to make contact with them today? And you, you ask them, when's your next meeting with them? Right, right. Well, I'm going to email them today and see what they say. Okay, great. Text them later in the day. Hey, did they answer the email? Mm-hmm. Like you're all about that one deal. Right. Help them get that first deal under their belt. Because once you help them get that first deal under their belt, then they're off and, and running. Then they're off, right? and, and then it's usually usually it takes about three deals, but it gets easier each time. Like, sure. To your point, I think it's like the first deal is the hardest. Right. The second deal a little easier. Third deal a little easier. Once about three deals in, <clears throat> then it's going to be better. Now you have a little more of a relationship as well, mm-hmm. and now you can have more of these conversations. But when you're recruiting an experienced bank card professional, I think anybody in the industry that recruits them knows just because they filled out your agreement is meaningless. Right. You know. Right. You still have to get convinced them to not put the deal with their current company and put it with you, which is no easy feat. Right. right. So. Go to ccsalespro.com slash team. I've got a ton of additional content here, a 50-page ebook, totally free for you. Um, so ccsalespro.com slash team. Check it out, and uh, next week we'll be moving on to new topics. Thanks, James. Great stuff. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.